As we start the morning routine program today, we're talking with author Eric Ayer, author of the book Death and Mudlick. Eric, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Brad. How are you doing? Doing just fine. And as we get started, Eric, you might tell our listeners more about you and your background, some of the work that you do. Sure. Um, I'm a longtime reporter at the Charleston Gazette Mail. Uh, it's a small paper in central Appalachia, and I cover the state house, but I broke uh, some of the stories about the opioid distributors and the opioid companies uh, back in 2016, won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, in 2017 and uh, actually as of last week I'm out of a job I uh, resigned from my job uh, last week the day my book was published I was called into the office to meet with the controller and the owner of the newspaper and the executive editor and I decided it'd be, just be better just to resign well, sorry to hear that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're talking today about your book that is actually a thrilling true story, Death and Mudlick. And, um, you know, this was called uh, A Spotlight Meets Aaron Brockovich uh, type of story. And you might walk us through what Death and Mudlick is all about, Eric. Sure. It's it's really about a, a community uh, amid the, the opiate epidemic and really about a community sort of banding together. We had me. We had a crusading lawyer. We had... Uh, uh, a woman who actually had spent time in jail, and we uh, kind of in a combined way uh, uncovered how these uh, giant companies, these distributors of opioids, were showering the country with prescription opioids, and by that I mean hydrocodone and oxycodone, and it really uh, set the table for the for the opioid epidemic, and it's um, you know been a story that's been now now we've got coronavirus, of course, and then concerned about the impacts of coronavirus mm -hmm. on the opiate epidemic as we're trying to recover here. So take us back uh, just to the start of this entire uh, investigation uh, in that area with the opioids. Uh, and and how, how did you even get tipped to, to this to begin with? We, we found out uh, I was working in the state legislature as a reporter covering the state legislature. And uh, as part of that duties, I covered the attorney general's office, and we had a new attorney general, the one who had very few ties to the state. He had just moved to the state and won the attorney general's race. It turned out his um, wife had worked for one of these uh, companies as a lobbyist, their main lobbyist on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and he had inherited the, the lawsuit that his predecessor had filed against uh, these opioid distributors, and he had... Uh, said he recused himself or stepped aside from the case, but we in fact showed that he had not. So as you moved ahead uh, with this investigative piece and uh, just some of the work that went into it, I imagine that it was a lengthy process because you have to make sure everything's in order. Yeah, we had to go, um, we had to, go to court, and we, we were outnumbered. We had one uh, pro bono lawyer. Again, we're a real small paper, so we couldn't even afford a lawyer, but we had to go to court to get access to these massive numbers of shipments of opioids that they had and we we would show up in court and there'd be 30 corporate attorneys uh representing again some of the largest companies in america they're all in the top 20 in the fortune 500 and uh it was just us but we prevailed and we went on to show that you know we had small towns uh uh, being showered with opioids, small counties being showered with opioids. I, d I did a little checking around your areas, and I apologize if I don't get these counties right, but um, Page County, is that correct? Mm -hmm. 
six six million over the course of eight years between 2006 2014 six million prescription opioids Fremont County had far less 1.5 million but then I saw the the counties in would it be Northwest uh, Missouri yep not away mm-hmm. six six million opioids there so I don't know the the populations of those counties but those are those are pretty big numbers and you know as you looked at uh, in the story about how one pharmacy in in Kermit West Virginia they distributed millions of pills I think you wrote 12 million pills in three years uh, to a town with a population of 382 people those are some um, just some some very surprising numbers there yeah and we had we had those numbers in other other small towns um, you know town of 3,000 had, had 21 million opioids in, in a couple of years um, that particular one as you mentioned Kermit had nine million in near nearly nine million in in uh, it was only uh, hydrocodone actually mostly just hydrocodone um, so yeah you had these small towns that they're just under siege or under an avalanche of prescription opioids that were shipped by these companies. And I understand uh, throughout this process, you know, you'd have whistleblowers drop, you know, documents off at your at your home. Yeah, that was an interesting story. We went to court to try to get some documents about the attorney general's involvement in the case in the lawsuits against the opioid distributors, and uh, we actually lost at one point in court, and then. Uh, you know, I got a text from my son who was uh, at home and said some person in uh, some figure that he couldn't get a good look at had run up to the porch and dropped off a document that uh, was some emails that showed uh, that the attorney general was indeed, in fact, involved in the litigation while, while his wife was lobbying for the, one of these opioid distributors. So I, I do want to ask, as you, you know, towards, we go back to the beginning, uh, whenever you first, you guys were first tipped off about all this, you know, I'm sure there were some, some big discussions and decisions about, you know, hey, you know, how do we go about, you know, going after this, uh, this investigative piece? And um, I'm sure there was a lot of discussion around that. Yeah, um, there was. There, there was a lot of um, resistance, too, from from the companies, of course, you know, they battled us in court. They, they threw everything but the kitchen sink at us to prevent these numbers from being public. We actually, um, we drew the ire of the attorney general and he retaliated and filed, started an investigation of, of our own newspaper, uh, asking for our personnel records and asking for our financial records. So yeah, it was a, it was a, a big battle. So as a result of all this, you end up winning the Pulitzer Prize for Investigative Reporting, making the Gazette Mail the smallest paper to ever win the prize in that category. Um, you know, Eric, as you as you look at the book now that you've put together uh, for the public to read here, uh, what what are you wanting the reader to take away? Well, I wanted I want the reader to take away that um, first off that that small newspapers, small media outlets like yours can do can do big things. Um, the other thing is that. You know, we really need to hold public officials accountable. I mean, it's especially true. Uh, it was true back then, and it's true now with the coronavirus. You know, you can't always trust what the public officials are telling you. They need to be scrutinized. We need to ask tough questions. And, you know, if, 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 you, if you do all that, um, you can maybe make some change and make some difference in the country. And, Eric, how can people find the book today? Um, 
you can go on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or you're, there's an independent uh, bookstore site called Bookshop.org. You can go onto my website, e r i c e y r e book dot com. Well, thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. We wish you the best going forward. Have a good one, Eric. Okay, thanks so much. We'll see you.